Wow, isn't that just what you needed on this rainy, cold, gloomy day? Wow. Well, you get extra credit in heaven for showing up when uh, Noah's floating by outside. I mean, wow, what a day. Well done getting here. <laughs> Last week, if you missed it, we kicked off uh, a short series because we're launching into a phase two for our building project. We've been waiting for the city of Palos to give us the green light for about a year now as we've been working on the right plans, and so we're there. We're moving forward. The series is called Building Faith. We're still with Moses. We're just shifting to a, a, a look at the tabernacle, and then we'll get back into the Ten Commandments after this. But I announced last week that the Phase 2 building campaign is going to cover some key priorities. In April, we're going to promote the project and prepare for it. Then in May, you're going to have an opportunity to make a commitment financially to help us with this building project. We filmed the video this week, Mark and I did, uh, giving you an overview of what the project is all about and why we're doing it. So check out this video right now. Hey, Harvest. Let me take a moment to tell you about the phase two building project that we just kicked off. It's called Building Faith. Just as the Lord used the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness to grow the faith of the Israelites, so he is going to use this project to grow our faith. Building Faith. Phase two is going to include some key priorities so that we can make this building a more useful tool in ministry. First of all, there's going to be an addition, a 3,500 square foot addition. On the main level, it's going to include two adult-sized bathrooms, and there's also going to be plenty of ground-level storage that we lack. On the second floor, there's going to be three, uh, four offices that we're adding, and also a conference room. We are out of offices, and so rather than go out into the community and have to rent offices, we would like to own them and to have them here already. So that's the addition. There will also be a new gym floor installed. The gym floor is worn out and it's not the best material and there's asbestos under it. So we're gonna get all that fixed and taken care of. In addition to that, the air conditioner for the gym is almost dead. It was born in 1977, so it needs to be replaced. That's a big part of the project. The parking lot needs to be resurfaced now so that if we neglect it longer, the whole thing will need to be replaced, which will be a lot more money. So we wanna resurface the parking lot now uh, and that's a big part of it too. And then the kids area is gonna get an update also. So this is an important project with key priorities and I'd love for you to pray about how you can partner with us in this work. The budget's gonna be about a million dollars, which considering all that we're doing, uh, sounds like a big number, but we're getting a lot done for that. For phase one, we raised as a church over $1.6 million. So we know that God has done it before through the faithfulness of his people, and he can do it again. But I would love for you to have the conversation with God about how you can do your part to help us achieve our goal and to get all the projects accomplished. Hopefully that gives you eyes on the priorities and why we have to work on these matters now. And we want to be great stewards of God's building, and we're already here because of the generosity of so many of God's people. We had to raise money to launch the church and then to move the church to Stag and then buy this building. And so uh, if you've been around for a long time, this is one more opportunity to participate in a generous culture. If you're newer to the church, then this is an opportunity for you to give some thought to how you can help us take that next step. Uh, because we see this as building faith, we're intentionally spending the few weeks not talking about spreadsheets and budgets and banks and all of that. We're talking about our faith. We're looking into the Word of God and seeing how God challenged the Israelites to move forward with a building project in the middle of the wilderness. And as we're learning those faith lessons, God's going to get our hearts ready so that we can help Him with His work here. There will be print work available and meetings coming up so that you can get fully informed on that. But moving into part two of this series, we're going to head into Deuteronomy chapter 8, 
verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4. The Israelites were challenged last week to build what's called a tabernacle. It's a tent of meeting, a place where God would have his throne present with the Israelites in the middle of nowhere. This would be quite a glamorous tent, we saw. It would be filled with golden artifacts. It would be a place where the high priest could come in and offer an offering to atone for the sins of the Israelites. Imagine, we have a picture of the tabernacle here. Imagine you are homeless in the middle of the wilderness, surrounded by millions of people, and God asks you to build this tent that we figured last week just the, uh, the, the precious metals alone would be in the multiple tens of millions of dollars. There they are, building this place, and God said, there I will meet with you. What a beautiful portrait. But God asked his people to give substantially, and, and he, God has to keep providing for these people. So we're going to see today how God faithfully provided for his people in their wilderness days as they continue to worship and serve and give to his work. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the word of God together. Father, you are able to meet all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Just as last week we saw the example of the Israelites who brought their offerings until Moses had to turn them away and say, we don't need any more. Just as we learned last week how you invite us, Lord, into your work. So show us today that you will provide for us faithfully as we give to you. As we worship you, as we serve you, show us that your eye is upon us, that you are able to meet all of our needs, and that, Lord, at the end of our story, we will look back rejoicing in all of the ways that you have poured out blessing upon us as we've walked by faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are you there in Deuteronomy chapter 8? Are you there? Say amen if you're there. Oh, I'm going to check to make sure you're with me several times through this uh, murky, cold, uh, uh, rainy day. We're actually going to start in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 8, and we're going to go down to verse 11, down to verse 11, and then we'll skip back up to the beginning. The setting is this. We have, like a movie, we have flashed 40 years into the future. 40 years into the future. God has been walking with his people faithfully, and they are now reflecting on what God has done. Check out chapter 11 where it says this. Take care lest you forget, lest you what? Warning, warning, don't what? Don't forget. The Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, with which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you what? And you forget. And you forget the Lord your God, who did what? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth, this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Hey, here's the thing. The people of Israel, when they built the tabernacle, were poor, penniless, wandering refugees. They had no country. Nobody owned a home. 
There was no Walgreens. There was no Walmart. There was nothing. There was no social security. They had what God gave them that day and nothing more. And he challenged them to take up an offering and build a tabernacle that cost a lot of money, and they did it. Forty years later, they're looking back, and they're saying, don't what? Don't. Forty years. Forty years. God is able to provide for you and for me. Jot this down. There's only one point in the sermon, but there's four sub-points. Number one, give generously and trust God to provide. The Israelites show us an example of how they gave generously and decade after decade after decade after decade, God kept meeting their needs. Give generously and trust God to provide because he is able. If we were to throw ourselves into a parallel situation in our building project, here's what we'd do. We'd go home and we'd all sell everything. You ready to do that? (laughs) And then we'd buy tents. Only tents. Fine, buy a big tent. I don't care, but you have to have a tent. Then you'd show up next week with your tent. Then we would all walk to Wyoming together as a church. People are laughing. (laughs) You would walk to Wyoming, the most desolate state. And there we would find a mountain and just set up our tents. Then we would build the most beautiful tent anyone has ever seen called the tabernacle, filled with golden artifacts, and we would all worship there together. And then we would uh, stay there and maybe move about, you know, into other desolate places. Maybe we'd visit Oklahoma. Maybe we'd visit, you know, for 40 years. I'm 40. My whole life. Then we'd come back and start bragging on God about how he met all of our needs in the middle of nowhere. No grocery stores. How did he do it? How did he do it? God provided miraculously as his people wandered the wilderness. He provided for them every day. As the people built their faith, displayed it in the tabernacle, their faith led to God flowing his provision into their lives. As we collect an offering, God is going to build our faith. And if we could go 40 years in the future and look back, and talk to ourselves about how God has met all of our needs, we would be so confident. I mean, future us's would sit today us's down and be like, listen to what the Lord has done. We see here that the first thing God wants his people to remember is that he saved them. Jot this down. God provides everything necessary for my salvation. Trust God to provide. Remember that he's already provided everything necessary for your salvation. The idea that God walked the Israelites out of Egypt, walked them through the waters of death and the Red Sea, and then brought them safely to Sinai, that's, a, that's God acting out spiritually what he did for you and me. He walked us out of slavery. He saved us from bondage. He took us through the waters of death, and he brought us into his presence. That's salvation. We can forget that God saved us. We can forget that we have contributed zip, zilch, nothing to our spiritual salvation. And guess what? leads us to forgetting that God did this for us. Our money, our stuff, our houses, our security will lead us to forget that it's God who has given us everything in Christ. We have provided nothing spiritual for ourselves. Remembering that God provided everything necessary for your salvation will keep you grateful and humble and generous. Salvation is a rescue from slavery. This is what Jesus did for us at the cross. Our understanding of God will determine how we manage our finances. If you think that God is a taker, if you think that church, that building programs is all about God taking, 
you don't understand what the Bible tells you. God is not a taker. He doesn't need anything you have. He doesn't have an empty shelf where he's looking down at your things, thinking your things would look good, where he's missing something. Nothing in your house impresses him. Nothing. Okay? You could give him every penny you have and his net worth has not gone up. He doesn't need what you have. He's not a taker. People who live their whole lives thinking that they have to protect their life from God because God's going to take their pleasure and take their fun and take their... You don't get it. God is a giver. He's not out to get from us. He's already given his best for us at the cross. God has given his son and he's paid the highest price to rescue you from spiritual slavery. He's given his all, a son. Have you given your child over to rescue someone else from death? God has. To set us free forever. Jesus himself, when it describes what he did for us, it describes Jesus leaving heaven. (laughs) I don't ever plan to leave heaven once I get there. Never. Not once. Not for a day will I leave. Jesus, who dwelled there and, it, and owns the place, left heaven, stepping down to save us. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This depicts Christ leaving heaven as leaving the riches of heaven, coming down and having nothing, born to a poor family, that could barely pay what the temple expected of them, Jesus entered into poverty. He was poor. He had very little for you. Our God is a giver, not a taker. When you understand that God has given so much to you, that humbles you and that makes you generous. You don't have to protect what you have from him. You get a chance to show him that you love him. How we see our money and our stuff can display gratitude or ingratitude to the Lord. When we have a chance, an opportunity to show the Lord how we feel about him, we can act that out with our offerings and with our money. But if we really believe that the Lord has saved our soul from eternity by giving his son, if we believe that the Lord Jesus left behind the treasures of heaven, then guess what? Our hearts will display our gratitude and will be humble and generous. How you see yourself will determine how you also manage your finances. If you see yourself as having earned everything and owning everything, and I've done it, then of course you won't give your things very often. But if you understand that God is the one who's extended everything to you, that he sustains you with a breath right now, that your life hangs on his command, then guess what? He'll show humility and generosity. That's what you believe. God has saved you if you trust in Christ. The Bible describes in many ways what God sees when he looks at you and me. In one place, we understand what God sees when he looks at you is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Christ was talking to his church in Laodicea, and listen to what he said. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Self-reliance, self-sufficiency, self-indulgence. Not realizing that you are, listen, listen to what Christ sees when he looks into your soul. Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I wouldn't want to be poor. I wouldn't want to be poor and blind. I would never want to be poor and blind and naked all at once. That's me. That's me before Christ. Poor and blind and naked. He has given me 
everything that has upgraded my status spiritually from that point on. Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. My starting point spiritually is I was poor and blind and naked. I was a beggar with an open guitar case and Christ came along. When you know that's your starting point, no more about you. No more about you and what you have and who you are. No more of that when you understand who you truly are before Christ stops before your presence. I like what Louis Giglio said. He said, it's never been about you. Isn't that refreshing? It's never been about you. It's always been about God. It's a miracle of the mercy of God that we're in God's story. This is the story of Christ. You've brought nothing into this world. You'll take nothing out of it. And when you understand that, you know that you need a Savior. And if you found a Savior in Christ, understand that He walked by you with an open guitar case and He threw eternal life in. You're just a beggar. We've got a picture here of a homeless person asking for money. And that's you. That's you. That's how you get to heaven right there. If you think that you did something to impress God or you gave something, if you think that, well, I went to a church and I gave money. No, no. God has given you everything. Here's another picture. That's you. That's you. And if, if you are, what the Bible says, poor in spirit, you understand your spiritual poverty, you know that God has given you everything necessary for salvation. You have contributed nothing. When that's your starting point, it humbles your heart and it makes you grateful. Because God has given us everything necessary for salvation. He broke us free. He saved us. That's our starting point. And that will show up in how you manage your finances. When you understand that God has provided everything for your salvation in Christ, you'll realize that you can't find the eternal essentials on Amazon. You can't find them on Amazon. The stuff in this world will never make your heart happy. Christ will make your heart happy. All the riches and treasures of heaven are found in a person, and that person is Christ. Knowing Christ is the supreme delight of this world. If you know him, God has filled your heart with joy. If you don't know him, whatever you get in this world, it will not satisfy you. God provides everything necessary for my salvation. This is great news because you could lose everything tomorrow and Jesus, imagine that. You could lose everything tomorrow and Jesus would still be enough to satisfy your soul forever. You've lost nothing. God doesn't owe me anything. I owe him everything. I like what Tim Keller says about Christ. He says, it is an astonishing thing to approach the throne of God, one at an unimaginable cost. This is what we're doing when we pray in Jesus' name. And we need to remind ourselves of what is happening every time we pray. We should take time and meditate on this truth until it thrills us. Jesus got us access into the presence of God. He paid an unimaginable price. The thought should thrill us. If you believe that God has saved you and that he's the one who threw the riches of paradise into your guitar case, that'll show up in how you give. That'll show up in how you give to others. That'll show up in how you give to the church. That'll show up. You'll be grateful and humble and generous because you are a saved person. Hey, give generously and trust God to provide. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget what, what? That I'm a saved person, that God gave me everything. Don't forget. Do You see how these are spiritual truths? Next, jot this down. Don't forget that God provides everything necessary for my stomach. You can write that down. My stu- Not my salvation, 
but my stomach. Look back up to chapter 8, verse 2. In chapter 8, verse 2, it says, And you shall remember, there's the word again, remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We see here a portrait of God providing food for his people. It's called manna. But he does it as the people obey his command. So the food lesson is meant to teach the spiritual lesson. Follow my words and you'll live. Following my words is like eating bread. But God provided for his people. In the middle of nowhere, God was responsible for providing for millions of people every day. They couldn't go to the grocery store. They had some animals and they could do some trading. But overall, this was a big food problem. Every day the Bible teaches, this is miraculous, that God just provided manna every day. They could go out and they could gather this manna wherever they camped. It would just be around their camp. It was free food. If you read the description, it sounds like giant frosted flakes. That would be my dream come true. <laughs> These giant pita frosted flakes. And then quail would come from time to time. Birds just dropping out of the air for meat. God fed his people every day. What if for 40 years the only food you knew would be walking out and just grabbing this miracle bread and bringing it back into your tent and you could cook with it, uh, you, could, you could boil it, you could, there's many meals you could make with it. Wow. God did that. We believe that he could do that and he did do that. This manna was a portrait of God's love and his care of his people. From time to time there would be no water or no food and God would lead them. He would allow them to hunger and thirst and then he would lead them to the place where water would spill out of the rock. Do you see God let his people need and then he met their needs? Again, just imagine if we were all tent dwellers walking through Oklahoma every season, Oklahoma and Wyoming, and where's the water? Where's the water? And then boom, God provides. Where's the food? Boom, God provides. Miraculously. What a time in biblical history. God shows that he can sustain us. Listen, if we all marched into the salt flats of Utah for 40 years, God could, in his miraculous power, feed us every day. He could do that. He has done that. And so as we decide how we're going to love the Lord with our finances throughout a lifetime, we have to factor in that he can provide for us every day. He can pro and he does provide for us every day. We can really lose sight of the fact that God is the one who created the ability for your cupboard to be full right now. They didn't have refrigerators back then. Okay, So as you look into your freezer and you see whatever, pizza rolls, or I've got kids. Those aren't for me. Whatever, ravioli. You look into your fridge and you see weeks worth of food. They didn't have that. But whatever you have, God made it possible for you to get that food. Okay? Yeah, maybe God doesn't like own Totino's, but the point is he allowed the crops to work and the, and the energy to keep pouring in so that it's possible for us to have everything that we have. Like Israel, you depend on God's provision every second. And should God neglect his duties, you would turn to dust. If God neglected his duties for a second, you'd be gone. Just keeping the sun shining is quite an act. I looked it up this week because I was curious to know what it would take to keep the sun shining brightly. We've got a picture here of the sun. 
And this, this is a picture of the sun having an angry day. And so there's a flare, a solar flare that flies up into, this, into space. And somebody put an, an earth to scale picture there in the lower left. See, so the sun has flares bigger than us. See that? That, that giant ball of burning gas has to keep working for you to eat, right? God is doing a pretty good job, I'd say, of keeping that running. My furnace is going to need to be replaced within the next four or five years because it's, again, like a 1970s model, all right? And, and we'd say, I'd, I'd say that my furnace has made it quite a long time. I'm glad that I haven't. I, I feel like this is a unique furnace that has made it longer than it should have. The sun just keeps, that's made of nothing but gas, all right? Plasma, but gas. Your life depends on that big, giant, burning ball of gas that God somehow keeps hot. I'm pretty impressed with God's ability to provide for us. According to my research, the sun burns 600 million tons of hydrogen per second. What if God let humanity just take care of that for a moment? Tell you what, you keep it burning for a moment. I'm going to need 600 million tons of hydrogen, and you're going to have to deliver it to the sun, distribute it evenly, and then you'll have provided for one second of your utility bill in your trek across the earth. God does that, and that's just one thing he does. God provides everything necessary for your stomach. We can easily lose sight of the reality that we're really not providing for ourselves. God's providing for us. We're, you made the lunch well done. A very small p- portion of your meal came from you. God had to do the heavy lifting for everything you eat. Our daughter, Allie, last week, she's in high school, she brought home a digital baby. The, the whole like project where you take care of a fake baby for a day, I didn't care. I was a grandpa. I was like, I'm a grandpa. <laughs> Come here. Just for a day, she had to take care of this fake baby. And the baby cried. And the baby needed to be fed. And the baby needed a diaper. I love this project so much. Two in the morning, she's up. I don't know what the baby needs. Is it a diaper? Is it a bottle? Is it? And I'm like, I love it. I love this homework. It was so great because she, had to, she learned firsthand what it was like to take care of one fake being. And anybody, you know, when you have kids, you realize, wow, wow, caring for a being who needs me to exist is a lot of work. God provides everything necessary, not just for you to live, but for all the animals. All of them. All of them. Just pick one species you'd like to be put in charge of for a year. Tell you what, you're in charge of uh, what? Name an animal. The panthers. Go take care of all the panthers for a year. God provides everything necessary for your stomach and theirs. We can lose sight of this reality. If we do, we won't be humble. If we do, we won't be grateful. If we do, we won't be generous. If we lose sight of the fact that God is providing for us, he's filling our stomachs, he's feeding us, he's keeping us warm, he's done so much. We'll be humble, we'll be generous, we'll be grateful because of what we believe. God is such a faithful creator. If you trust him... God will meet your needs. When you hit a crisis of faith and you continue to love the Lord with your money, he will provide for your needs. Sometimes in natural ways, like getting you a job. Sometimes in supernatural ways, like, I don't even know how it happened, but God provided for us. And those who walk by faith and trust God with their finances have story after story after story of God providing for them. Give generously and trust God to provide. Why? Because God provides everything necessary for your salvation. 
because God provides everything necessary for your stomach. This is all seen in the Israelite story. And jot this down. Because God provides everything necessary for your maturity. For your maturity. Now what does this mean? This means that the Israelites were learning that God will test their faith to grow it. He'll test their faith in many ways to grow it. So look at verses 5 and 6 again, where it says this. Verse 5, it says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. There's this growing, there's this testing, there's this disciplining that produces maturity. Look at verse 2 again. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. God's going to bring things into your life to humble you. Then it says testing you to know what was in your heart. He's going to leave room for faith. You won't, you won't know how he's going to meet your needs. You won't know how it's all going to work out. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. Are you going to follow his rules? Are you going to follow his word or not? When we went through the book of James, we learned that there were many ways God tests our faith. He tests it with relationships, difficult people, sickness, tests of the body. He tests it with finances. Money is a test that shows our faith. He tests it with many, time, just waiting on God for something, words, things that we've said or things that people have said to us. He does this to test us and to teach us. It says in verse 3, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, Trust me when it's hard. Trust me when it's hard. I got you through it. Trust me when it's hard. I got you through it. Okay. My word is your way to make it through. He taught them that again and again. God provides everything necessary for my maturity. Look back down to verse 15. What kind of trials did God bring into their lives? He says, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. Terrifying. Terrifying. God leading his people through terrifying wilderness shows you that God is not just going to lead you by still waters. He's going to take you to terrifying places. Fiery serpents and scorpions. Thirsty ground with no water. God did that. Follow me. Where are we going? Terrifying places. God will walk you through terrifying places to humble you, to test you, to teach you faith, and to show your faith. God provides everything necessary for your maturity. And we need to get to the point where we embrace trials because we know they'll grow us. I like what F.W. Borum said. He said, blessed are they that mourn the tardiness of their progress in the divine life. Meaning, I'm stuck. I've gone nowhere. God hasn't done much lately. Cue trial. And we're grateful. Because we know that he's doing something special to grow our faith. God provides everything necessary for my maturity. He'll take you to dangerous places financially. He'll take you to places where you're waiting on him. There's scarcity, lack of basics, fear of death, disease, disaster. God won't spare us from danger. But he will manifest his presence in the midst of our suffering. I don't know what season of life you're in right now. But God will mature you through your trials. I've been sharing with you since we launched the church that Lauren and I, when, uh, when we were at our last church, we bought a house and the market was really good when we bought it. And then kaboom, the housing market bottomed out. So by the time we were going to launch this church back in 2009, we thought, well, if God's going to bring us down here, he's going to have to sell our house, right? So that we can, you know, the house is up near Wheaton, so it's like a 45 minute trip. 
So we listed the house, and like nobody came. Like we had open houses with balloons on the mailbox, and nobody came. Nobody came to see the house. We couldn't sell it. And to make it harder, during our launch team, some perky, kind woman came up to me thinking she was encouraging me, and she's like, Pastor, guess what? We were going to list our house on Monday, and somebody put a note in our mailbox and said, don't list it. We'll buy it before you sell, before you even list it. She's like, we sold our house. And I was like, yay. <laughs> in my mind, I was like, go to heaven. Because <laughs> nobody's coming to look at our house. Well couldn't sell it, and then we decided we were going to list it as a rental, which I was terrified about because I didn't want to become a landlord, and so we, and then God provided a renter. It was this woman who was a widow. She wanted to keep her two boys in the school district after her husband passed away, so she was downsizing from two streets over. So she, she moved in, and she, she said to me, um, I don't like writing checks. I was like, okay. She's like, so I'll just give you one check a year. I was like, really? Okay. So she gave me one check with the whole rent for the whole year the first year. And then she did that the second year, and the third year, and the fourth year, and the fifth year, and the sixth year, and the seventh year, and the eighth year. So I got eight checks over an eight-year period, and she was a great renter. She would just fix stuff and then tell me about it. Oh, yeah, I got that fixed. And so then she came to me a few months ago and uh, at the beginning of the year, and she's like, all right, well, it's time for me to move out. My brother's moving into town. I'm going to move with him. So now we got to sell, list the house again. So I'm out there like once, twice a week cleaning it and getting it all ready to sell. If you've gotten a house ready to sell, you know that it's not a small job. So we got the house all ready to list. And then on March 10th, we listed the house. It was a Saturday. We had all these walkthroughs. So then we got an offer on Tuesday, cash offer, which just not like maybe $10,000 less than what we were asking too. So it was a, it was a great offer that we closed on or that we uh, received. So Saturday, March 10th, we received an offer, and so we're supposed to close on Tuesday coming up. So this story is almost done. I'd like to just be dancing now, but I can't yet because we, we already signed the documents and everything, but Tuesday like night, I'll be dancing. We go out to Portillo's to celebrate. But we've almost got an amazing ending to this story because what's happened is we listed it, sold it in three days and closed within a month. I love the ending to that story. We're almost there. God is able to provide, but he'll take you on hard journeys. This has not been easy. He'll take you on hard journeys where you need him to come through. And guess what? He will prove faithful time and time again. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, The man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. Many ordinary treasures may be denied him, or if he is allowed to have them, the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go, one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss. For having the source of all things, he has in one all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight. Whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing. For he now has it all in one. And he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. When you know you have everything in Christ, it doesn't matter what you lose. It doesn't matter what you're waiting for. You've already got it all. And if you get more things, big deal. And if you have less things, big deal. This should be our attitude if we realize that God is providing everything necessary for our maturity. Everything is just props in life that he's using to grow our faith. Give generously and trust God to provide. The Israelites are displaying this for us. 
They're reflecting now on how God miraculously provided for them. He provides everything necessary for your salvation, everything necessary for your stomach, everything necessary for your maturity. And jot this down. God provides everything necessary for my endurance, meaning just to make it through this life and on to eternity. He does that. Look back at verse 4. In verse 4, it says this. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. That's an interesting part of this story. Because at some point along the 40-year journey, people looked around, and they're like, hey, have you had that shirt for 20 years? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Man, it looks just as good as the day you bought it. God supernaturally somehow allowed their clothing to not wear out as quickly as it would. Now, what would a high and holy and heavenly God care about sandals? Like, but he did. He knew that people needed the basics, clothing, shelter, and God took them through this supernatural season where they're like, let me see the bottom of those Crocs. Man, just doesn't look like they're wearing out. Now, you're laughing, but if you've trusted the Lord and you've given to him regularly and faithfully, I know that you suspect there are certain things in your life that are lasting longer than they should have. Maybe it's a car. Maybe I have a lawnmower. It's a John Deere, which is a good brand, but it was a hand-me-down, and I've had it forever. And I think it's been touched by an angel. I'm just telling you. I don't know how this thing still starts. All right? We've had cars that I'm convinced that they should have been dead before they were dead. God, you're laughing, but I'm sure... How many of you have a story of a time you suspect that God made something last longer than it should have because you've been walking by faith through a hard season? See, I'm telling you. All right, I'm not the only crazy one here. There are stories of God making things last longer than they could or should. He can do it. He has done it. And he will do it if you trust him. And it's just one of the many things he does if you're partnering with him by faith. Understand that none of this is really true for people who aren't giving to the Lord. Please understand that. If you're not walking by faith and giving to the Lord and sacrificing, then you won't know anything of what I'm talking about. You won't have the stories of his provision. You won't have the stories of him taking you through hard times because you're doing it all by yourself. You're going it alone. You won't have the stories of miraculously people showing up. One day when Lauren and I were at our last church, we were a one-income family and we were giving to the church and it was a tough time and Lauren was, had just started staying home with our kids. One day, somebody just brought us groceries. Didn't even know that it was going to be so tight of a week that we didn't know if we could get them. I opened the door and there's just groceries there. And I'm like... Yeah, the person had a heart to do that, but it was really God who was at just the right time prompting the person to do this. God provides everything necessary for your endurance, for not just for your stuff to not wear out, but for your faith to not wear out. He sees you through this life. So it says here that he made it so that their clothes didn't wear out. There are other passages in the Bible that talk about how God does the opposite to people who don't trust him with their money. He makes things wear out faster. Holes in your pockets. Where did the money go? Where did it go this month? Where did it go this month? But you're not trusting God. So he is moving it along quicker than you might think. That's a punishment and that's discipline. It says in verse 4, your clothes did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. 
For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and of whose hills you can dig out copper, and you shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. God's talking to his people like they are loaded. Like they are loaded. I've got a land for you and I'm taking you there. And it's got everything you'll ever need, but we're not there yet. Why, why wouldn't he just get them there? You know the story. They disobeyed. So they got 40 years in the penalty box. Then he took them in. But this portrait of God in the middle of nowhere with homeless refugees on their way home, guess what that shows you? You. We're strangers and aliens in this world. Our God makes his home with people who don't have a home in this life. And God leading the Israelites into the land portrays God leading his people to heaven. He's going to take you to a land where the streets are covered in gold. A land where you're never going to have to worry about anything again, but you're not there yet. Do you see how this gives you a portrait of your identity? You're not home yet. You're not, he's meeting your needs on the way. If he could tell you what your home looks like in heaven, if he could show you a picture just for a second, they'd have to pick you back up off the floor. And guess what? It's already yours. The inheritance is already yours. You're loaded. You see how foolish it is to be like, yeah, but I don't want God to touch what I have in my pocket. What? Do you know what he's provided for you? God provides everything necessary for your endurance. This is the future focus. This is a God who has not just provided for you in the past. He saved you. He's not just taking care of your daily needs. He's going to walk you all the way up to the pearly gates and get you in. He has already provided that for you. Do you see how understanding and embracing these truths will show up in our checkbook? We'll give. We'll be humble. We'll be generous. We won't be all proud and all about ourselves and all stingy because, wow, what God has done. We'll trust him. God will take us safely into heaven. The challenge here in verse 11 comes right back around to us. Take care lest you forget. Hey, have you forgotten how the Lord has provided for you in the past? Have you forgotten? Hey, have you forgotten how the Lord is providing for you right now? And if he took his hand off the wheel of the universe for a second, you'd disappear. Have you provided? Have you forgotten how God will provide for you in your future and every day, 10,000 years from now, he'll still be meeting your needs? Is that your faith? Because this is God building our faith. This is an opportunity for God to show us what we believe about him, to show us that he's going to take care of us, to not walk by fear. Man, if the Israelites in the middle of nowhere, 40 years, could come back in, dust themselves off and say, sit down and let me tell you how God met all of our needs. Your story can be a living display, a testimony of God's generosity to you. C.S. Lewis talks about the nature of this world. He says, if I find in, my des- in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. I love it. He talks like a pilgrim passing through somebody who knows that eternity is already provided for by God. 
the place we're going to, the gravel is worth more than anything in your investment portfolio. When you know that, you'll live that out. Hey, the only point I have for us today is this. Give generously and trust God to provide. The Israelites did it. They gave and built a tabernacle, and 40 years later, they were lacking nothing. God provided everything necessary for your salvation, for your stomach, for your maturity, for your endurance. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Do you trust him? Will you trust him? Give generously to him and watch the stories begin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer by faith. Father, thank you for these amazing stories that we could so easily take for granted. Every day for 40 years, millions of people woke up with no food, nothing, and they went to bed full. Every year, every day for 40 years, your people woke up needing the basics. There was no water service. There was no combat. There was no NICOR. They needed everything. And we need everything. We need it all every day from you. You have faithfully provided for us. Lord, we pray as we go through this season of faith where we're giving to you for a project that you would remind us that you have given us everything past, present, and future. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be generous and humble, wise, because we know that that glorifies you. And we thank you that you, you gave all that we needed at the cross to secure our salvation. Thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. And I know there are perhaps some here today who are hearing this message thinking, none of this is real to me. I don't know where God's been all my life. Lord, maybe you're showing them today that all of the riches of heaven are found in the person, the Savior of Jesus Christ. I pray that there would be some who call out to Jesus today, some who have perhaps learned the hard way that the things of this life will only hollow them out and fill them with nothing, will empty them. Show them that there are true riches, not gold and silver, but the glory of God, the Son of God, I pray that there would be people here who are turning away from the greed of this life and turning toward the one who can make their hearts happy, the one who paid it all at the cross. Lord, show us that we are merely poor in spirit, beggars, poor, naked, and blind. And you made us everything that we are today. You clothed us in white. You gave us an inheritance. You opened our eyes so we could see. We are so grateful for what you have given us. Help us to walk with generous, humble hearts. And we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one more song.